Welcome to Lighthouse Church's Sermon Podcast. We pray you are blessed and encouraged with today's message. Good morning. Happy Easter. The Bible says, do not forsake the gathering together of the saints, especially in the end days, because it's going to be harder and harder because we are busy, right? We're busy people. So it's good to see that you're all honoring God this morning. What a wonderful day that the Lord has made for us. Are we ready to go? Okay, I'm going to conclude my series, Living the Resurrected Life. The last couple of weeks I've been preaching on it. The first week I preached on uh, what happens when God calls us, calls us forth from the grave, spiritually speaking, and I talked about Lazarus. Last week I talked about our words and how it can set even a forest on fire. You remember that video I showed? If you weren't here for that, I encourage you to listen to it. It was a good, a very good word, and I don't say that because I was preaching it. I was saying it's a very good word in the sense of very convicting, right? I probably had more people contact me saying, ouch, in so many words. So it's good sometimes to be convicted. So today I'm going to be talking about this subject, resurrected thinking. How many people know, you've heard this saying before, but you can have a million dollars in your account, but if you never know it's there, what use is it? Well, many times the the reality is in Scripture that if we don't know what God has done for us and we never apprehend it, is it actually uh, doing anything in our lives? And that answer is absolutely not. So this morning's message is entitled Resurrected Thinking. Resurrected Thinking. How many people need a resurrected thinking process take place in their lives. We all do, right, from time to time. So I want to speak on this real quickly, go into some scriptures. There's going to be a lot of scriptures this morning, and hopefully you can get something out of this. The Bible talks often, very often, and actually I'm going to be honest with you, more as I've gotten older have I seen it embraced how many times the Bible talks about the power of the mind and our thoughts. And I'm going to go through just a few scriptures this morning, but it's amazing when you start understanding that God understood, even in the last days, I believe, more and more the pressure and anxiety that was going to be on his people and how much we needed to understand the power of our thoughts. Matter of fact, I haven't done a lot of study on it. I've talked to Teresa quite a bit. She knows a whole lot more than I do. But um, if you've heard about the science of neuroplasticity, which is the ability to retrain your brain, for a long time they thought your disposition was your disposition and it could never be changed. Now they're finding out that that's not the truth. If you have stinking thinking, you can actually change it. Somebody say amen. Look at your neighbor and say this message is for you. For far too long, we've trivialized, and especially the church has trivialized and overlooked the connection between our thoughts and even this. Can I say this? Our thoughts and our actual transformation. Our thoughts that lead us to actual transformation. Think about that for a moment. How do I know this is true? Because I've seen too many people, and I'm going to tell you this, even in my own life, probably for the first time, 20 years of my Christian walk, I had not very good thinking. I had probably, I would call it stinking thinking, but I had very religious thinking that kept me bound. But many people I've seen, myself and others, are bound by their thoughts. Now catch this. And any hope of real change has disappeared. They've determined, now you got to hear this, this is important. They have determined that this is the way they were created and there's no hope 
for anything ever changing or for transformation. They've determined, I'm just going to have to deal with this disposition that I've been given and just do the best I can. How many people have ever felt that way? We all have felt that way at times, right? This is the hand I've been dealt, and I'm going to do the best with it, whether it's through medication or whatever. And that's not ripping on that. I'm saying, but that's been the mentality uh, out in the world and even into the church, but that's not true. See, the Bible says otherwise, and can I now celebrate this? Science is even saying otherwise, that we can retrain our brains. Now, I want to tell you this. Dr. Carolyn Leaf, if you've ever heard of her before, she's a, um, I'm not even sure if I even understand it, a communication pathologist and cognitive neuroscientist. She's written several books. She's been on TV several different times. And her comment is this. It's out of one of her books. She goes, as we think, see, as we think, We change the physical nature of our brain. So stopping right there, she's saying, as we think, how we think changes the actual physical characteristic or nature of our brain. As we consciously direct our thinking, say consciously direct, what does that mean? Being intentional, right, about our thinking, we can wire out toxic patterns of thinking and replace them with healthy thoughts. Doesn't that sound exciting? Can I tell you something? That's in the Bible. That's already in the Bible. We knew that, but the, the problem is it took science probably two or 3,000 years to catch up with what God already knew. But sadly, the church has not grasped this and understood this. And so this morning, I want to talk a little bit about it because I think on, on this Easter morning, if our thinking is correct, it will impact every other aspect of our life. So again, I'm going to go go to Romans 6. Don't turn there. I know your Bible's sitting there just aching to be opened. Don't turn there because I want you to read this version of it, which is found in the message. I love how this message Bible, it's a newer translation, a more modern translation, how it says this. Here it goes. Ready? Verse 6. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. Ready? What is that saying? After you got saved, your old man, your old way was nailed to the cross of Christ. A a decisive end to that sin, miserable life. No longer at sins, every beck and call. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. So in other words, before Christ came along, when you died, you died. That was it. But when Jesus came along, it was no longer death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. Isn't that good? We're going to keep going. Here we go. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him. I liken that to being pinned him, knocked him out. But alive, he brings God down to us. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him. But alive now, after he was resurrected, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it in this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. If I was to start speaking to you in French or Spanish, which I can't, you would sit there most of you go, like, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's what this is saying. Sin no longer speaks your dialect. 
means nothing to you, but God speaks your mother tongue, and you hang on to every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God as a believer. That's what Jesus did, made us dead to sin and alive to God. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. I've said this a long time ago, and I'm going to finish this. Too much, too many Christians are too sin conscious. Every time they sin, they magnify it in their lives instead of being grace grace conscious where God has covered our sin, had nailed the sin to the cross. It doesn't mean we say we're okay with sin. If you believe that and think that's what I'm saying, you're missing the total point here. But sin no longer has dominion over you. Don't give it the time of day. I love this. Don't run. Don't even run little errands that are connected with the old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly in full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under the old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. If you believe this this morning, fully believe this, I could end my message right now and you would transform your life, your marriage, your kids, your finances, the place of work, this region. And within, I would say, two or three months, Canton would not be recognizable. Troy would not be recognizable. Tawanda, Mansfield, this region would not be recognizable if we believe this. But what we tend to believe is that we are still a slave to sin. In other words, sin still reigns in our body. And what I mean by that is every time you sin, which you're going to sin, how many people know that? We're still sometimes pretty good at sinning. Oh, just me? Okay, I didn't know you guys were all perfect. That's wonderful. I'm so glad about that. Whenever I sin, come on, whenever I fall, I have a tendency to magnify that and start repeating words that are unhealthy, like, oh, here it goes again. I'm going to do it again. It's all And we literally come back under and become a slave to sin. No, when you sin, you ask forgiveness, you rise up, and you keep walking because you're no longer a slave to it. It's just a bump in the road. It's like a pothole. When you're driving down the road in these beautiful Pennsylvania roads and you hit a pothole, do you stop, get out of the car, and look at that pothole and go, oh, my goodness, here we go again. You don't sit there and stop at every bump in the road and go, oh, my goodness, and fret and stop your life. But many times what happens is when we sin, that's exactly what we do. We stop everything, and that's not what God is saying. You are living in the freedom of God. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say this. Quit running errands for the devil. Again, this revelation in these verses should set us free. This revelation should start to cause us to move a little in our pew. This revelation should maybe make you a little bit happier than when you came in. Come on, somebody. But again, we can choose to remain blind to this revelation if we don't believe it and apprehend it. Okay, our minds are powerful, and our thoughts shape who we are and who we'll become. I want you to see this. Your thinking creates your environments, sets your goals encourages or discourages your actions, produces or reduces your peace, lifts or depresses your steps. Your thinking creates, whether positive or negative. 
Can you say amen to that? That's true. Our vision, our thoughts impact our vision. Our thoughts impact how we see. Now, this is a man of God that I absolutely love. His name is Graham Cook. He says this way. He goes, every one of us has a lens by which we look through. And depending upon what type of lens we have determines how we view things. How many people know that's absolutely true? Some of you I've said many times, see the glass half empty. Others see it half full. Some of you guys see it full. Some of you see it's like, oh, my gosh, we got two days and we're in trouble. Right? I've told you many times, worriers, they've done this actually research at University of Cincinnati where they said 80% of what you worry about never comes to pass and the 20% that does is never as bad as you thought it was going to be. So what happens is we end up worrying for no reason. Jesus, understanding that, can you believe he understand that we were going to be worry warts? Right? He actually says, do not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough to worry about on its own. Can somebody say amen? But he goes, first, seek the kingdom, and all those things that you're supposed to be worrying about will just kind of show up on your doorstep. Come on, somebody. Having the correct lens causes us to see the things God desires us to see in, how the, he, the way he wants us to see them. The wrong lens will cause you to view things in the opposite way. I have literally, this is so true, I have preached sermons where I've got done preaching, and people have come up to me and said, "When that, that, that was one of the best sermons I've ever heard in my life. I was literally transformed, just transforming. I feel so good. Thank you. You set me free, Pastor. And I've had other people in the same message come up to me and go, man, I got nothing out of that. It's a lens. It's a view. It's a mindset. The lens either clarifies things or takes them out of focus. Now catch this, our spiritual lens, it's our perception, our observation, our understanding. Listen, this is so important you get this. This will set you free. Our spiritual lens literally is our perception of our life. Our spiritual lens is our observation of how we observe things. I can look at you beautiful people this morning and say, man, praise God. Look at it. Almost a full house. Praise God. Happy Easter. This is amazing. Or I can look and say, oh, my gosh, we're missing four families. It's how you, your lens causes you to observe your situation. Some of you might know that my, my granddaughter, little Lenora, she's been in the hospital a couple days, crazy stuff going on, have no idea. We're still trying to figure it out. Down in Geisinger. How many knows when stuff like that happens, you have a tendency to step back and go, thank you, Jesus. At least you should. Because you never quite know how good you have it. There's been times when me and my wife financially are going through troubles, and we looked at each other, and we're frustrated, you know, because money always kind of leads you into arguments. Is that true for you guys? You know, I always blame her, and she blames me, and it's just, come right, that's what you do, right? You're, why are you doing it? You're spending this. You shouldn't be spending that. You know, going on and on and on. But at the end of the day, almost always I said, you know what? We have healthy kids. Praise God. You can always find a spot for your praise to land. Always. Your lens. Can I be honest? I could go through this entire church and probably pick out problems in each one of you, and you could do the same with me. 
Or I can look at you like God looks at you and see the positive and see and observe you in a way that God wants to observe you and say, this is what God has for you. The Bible says actually in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, I know the thoughts, God speaking, that I have towards you. Can you imagine if we start doing that to our spouses? Can you imagine if we started looking at our kids that way? Our children are a blessing from the Lord. This is not a necessarily a negative thing, but thank God, God gave me the woman he gave me. Because it could have been so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, right, man? Praise the Lord. Our spiritual lens is our perception of our situation. The boat is sinking, or we get a chance to swim. Our observation, our understand, literally, our, our lens creates the ability for us to understand situation. It determines our increase or decrease in the reality of our relationship with God. If you think God hates you, guess what? You're going to believe he hates you, and you're going to live your life as if he hates you. But if you believe God loves you and that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and was resurrected on the third day, then you're going to live like a resurrected person. If you believe that if it was only you here on earth that his son would still have died, telling you what, you'll live your life differently. Our spiritual lens can determine our fullness or lack. It can free us or limit us in our walk with God. It invokes fear or faith. It can cause us to walk in newness of life or get stuck in the past. That's what your lens, that's what your perception, that's what your thought, your mindset can do for you. Long time ago, I, you, most of you know my situation. I came out of a tough situation, divorced home. If anybody's ever been through a divorced home, you know it's a tough situation. But a long time ago, I learned something as I was walking with the Lord that I chose how good my Mondays were going to be. How many people love Mondays? I don't. On Monday morning, my lens is pretty foggy and dirty, right? And I sit there, and I get, I remember working, I'd have to be at work at 7 in the morning, and I get up, and I'm like, oh, Monday morning, you know, and then you have your whole thing called hump day. What's hump day? Can't wait. Everybody's working for the weekend, right? You can't wait to get to the weekend. Friday, you get in on Friday, and you're like, man, I got today, and then you're home, right? And you, like, rejoice for two days, and then Sunday night, you start getting sick to your stomach again. Am I the only one does that? I used to do that, right? And so I, I had this mentality, and I started realizing I literally was creating my reality and my attitude towards my Monday mornings. And so I began to say, you know, honestly, this is kind of weird, but this is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to choose to rejoice in it. And I began to get up Monday, Monday mornings, and I'd start singing, and I'd praise the Lord, and I'd thank God for that day. And it's amazing how quickly that began to change. And I tried to even instill that in my daughters. And I had one of the most blessed things said to me this past week by my daughter. My daughter Lizzie says to me, she goes, Dad, I've seen how you have tried to take every day and make it positive and how you've tried every day to bless somebody, to come with an attitude of blessing. And she goes, I'm literally trying to do the same thing. She doesn't know how much that blessed me because I said I modeled it. I want, and it's not, listen, if you think it happened overnight, you've got to be kidding me. Because how many people know when you go to work, usually Monday mornings people are grumpy. You know, some of them are hungover. No one in here. Come on. Some, of you, some people are hungover. You get there, and you're just, like, really frustrated and whatever, and people are prickly, and you're supposed to love them and rejoice. And how many people know? Most people don't like you being happy. So you come into work happy, they want to kill you. 
I had a, we had a bet one time, and it wasn't a bet. It was one of those, uh, what do they call it, New Year's Eve or New Year's Day resolution, New Year's resolution, whatever they call them. Anyway, we had a, a bet in our office that everybody, there's four of us in our office, our purchasing manager, uh, manufacturing manager, uh, I was the scheduling manager, and then our uh, plant manager. We're all in the same office. And we had a bet that every morning, on Monday morning, we would come in and say good morning. Every single morning we do it. Actually, started on Monday every day. So every morning we started January 1st. Good morning. Everybody said good morning. Happy, right? We made the decision. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. 17 days it lasted. That 17th day, our purchasing manager walked in there. I could tell he wanted to kill somebody. Him and his wife must have had a good one. No, that doesn't happen here. He must have had a really good one. He walks in there, sits down. About two hours later, he goes, good morning. Doesn't count. It was over. It's how we view things. Our fullness or lack, it can set us free. A lens can cause us to walk in newness of life or get stuck in the past. Let me give you an example of what I mean by this. We can view the Bible as simply a bunch of information. There's a lot of people. Matter of fact, when I was in school, in English class, when I was in eighth grade, I think, eighth grade English, we used to study the Bible as literature. And guess what it was? A bunch of information that wasn't transforming anybody. It was just words on a page. It's your lens. You can just accumulate facts, or you can let it be life-giving and life-transforming. It's your lens. It's your lens. What type of lens are you looking through? If your lens causes you to judge people, criticize people, persecute people, you need a lens change. A great example of this is the Apostle Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9. He went from approving Stephen Stoning to persecuting Christians to he gets to this point where he gets knocked off his horse. He then get he is blinded. He's then taken to this to this place, and Ananias is told by God to go pray for him. So when Ananias went and entered the house, he laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, who became Paul, same person, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now I want to tell you something. This is one of the greatest examples of a lens change. Three days earlier, he was killing Christians and thought he was doing it for God. Three days later, he's getting filled with the Holy Spirit, getting a massive lens change, and next thing you know, he goes out and plants more churches than anybody else at that time. That's a lens change. That's seeing things different. That's understanding things different. And how many people know once he began to see things differently, he did things differently, which changed and transformed his life. If I could say it like this, Paul had spiritual cataracts that needed to go. Paul later makes a statement in his walk with God, and I believe he was talking about himself as he talked to the Christian brothers and sisters at the church of Ephesus. He goes, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what is the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints. We ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to fall in this church that we fully apprehend and understand what Jesus died on the cross to give us, or we'll walk in a much lesser life-filled walk than we're supposed to.
May the eyes of our hearts be enlightened so that me and you, that we may know the hope to which God has called us, what's the riches of his glory and his inheritance among the saints. It's a lens change. It's understanding. God allowing to enlighten our understanding. Now catch this. Without embracing this revelation, you will struggle to live your life with joy and peace. I want to tell you here, and I can't say it any more clear, I've lived both sides of the streets. I understand what it is to follow the world, and I also understand what it is to follow Jesus. And I want to tell you right now, you will struggle to ever find abundant life. You will struggle to ever find lasting joy. Matter of fact, you will struggle ever to find contentment apart from Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. I've experienced everything that this world has to offer, everything, and all of it is fleeting. It lasts for a moment, but God lasts. Jesus' salvation lasts for an eternity, and it's a sustaining joy. Without embracing this, you will struggle to live life with joy and peace. With a lens change comes life change. With a lens change comes vision change. With a lens change comes a different outlook on life. So, I say all this to you to show you scripture that will prove my point. And we're going to go over them quickly. The first one. 1 Timothy 1.7. These are our promises from God. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, it's supposed to say. Catch this. A sound mind. So, if you're dealing with fear, it ain't from God. First promise, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. The second one, no longer do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I love this scripture because it's so packed full of good information. You want to know what God has for you? You want to know what the next step is? Transform your mind. Renew your mind. What does this tell me? That it can happen. I love this verse. It's one of my life verses. Whenever I've gotten discouraged or even depressed, I've sat there and said, I don't have to stay here because God has promised me in his word that I can renew my mind. Notice it. Do no longer be conformed to this world, but be transformed or renovated by the renewing of your mind. That's a good promise. That's a good promise. Next, a glad heart or cheerful heart, a mindset. Now, I love this. Why do I love this? Because this was written three or four thousand, three thousand years ago, whatever. And science is now proving in the last 20 years that actually, when you have a healthy mindset, when you're joyful and peaceful, when you laugh a lot, it actually releases good things in your body that makes you healthy. And did you also know that when you're discouraged and down and depressed all the time, that it can lead to a higher uh, percentage of arthritis? This happened in the Bible? Can you believe that? A glad heart, a mindset is as good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Maybe God knows what he's talking about. Maybe I should listen to him. Hmm. Let's keep checking. Now, what's our responsibility? How do we respond to this? How do we acquire this? How do we get this? Here it is. First one. 
Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make in the wilderness and rivers, and I'll make in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I'll make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. This is important to get. How do we start off? Honestly, can I tell you how you start off in this life? You got to get rid of the past. See, too many people right now, their past, and this is what blows me away, their past is right here in front of them. Can I be honest with you? Your past cannot be in front of you unless you've turned around. You can't see your past if you're looking ahead. The only way you're seeing your past is if you've turned around. And how many people know when you turn around and try to walk backwards, especially as you get older, it can be hairy. Be a little dangerous. Come on. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. The past has to become the past. You need to make a decision, bad decisions and all. I mean, we are stuck as Americans in, man, if I only would have done this, or if I only should have done this, and it kills us from moving forward because we're living in the past. It literally has handcuffed us. We put our handcuffs to our past, and we're stuck there. And if we try to move forward, it's like dragging the past into the future. You can't do it. Makes you stuck. Remember not. Forget about it. It's easier said than done. It is on your own. The second one, Ephesians 4, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made nude in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You know what this is saying? It's so good. Embrace the new thing God wants to do in your life and quit being scared of it. Throw off the old. So you know what? I've had enough of the old way of living. It has gotten me nowhere. Come on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It gets you nowhere. It's a dead-end road. It's a circle around the same mountain over and over and over again. And God says, I want to put on the new self. I want you to put on a new creation. You are a new creation in Christ if you accept me, and I'll give you new paths. I'll give you new ways. And I love this, how it says it. Guess you ready? Here it goes. To be made new, turn to your neighbor in the attitude of your mind. Say, you need an attitude adjustment. Isaiah 26.3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is kept on you because he trusts in you. This is important. When you say you're well kept, what does that mean? You brush your teeth, you do your hair, you take a shower, you make sure you look kind of decent. That's being well kept. The same thing with your mind. Your mind, when it's kept on God, means that you'd make sure that you never go anywhere without your mind connected and in the right place. I want to tell you, this is so important. That's why when you come to church on a Sunday morning and if you're discouraged, you have the opportunity to lay down your burdens in that moment, be transformed in your mind, and go out thinking differently. I'm going to preach to someone this morning. You don't need to come into the house of God, keep your burdens, and walk out with the same ones you came in with. You can get rid of them. You're supposed to get rid of them. He wants you to get rid of them. Minds that are kept on you. Next one. 2 Corinthians 10. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And this is so important. You've heard me preach on this before. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. If there's a thought in your mind that isn't Christ-worthy, get rid of it. How do you get rid of it? 
Man, I love Scripture. Scripture knew it wasn't going to be easy. You know what? If I was writing the Bible, I would have said, you know what? Just make your mind full of good stuff, like, like bubbles, rainbows, right? Rainbows and bubbles and, and, and balloons and ice cream and, you know, flowers, right? I would have put that. He goes, no, no, I want you to take every thought captive because literally that's what you have to do with your, come on, with your thoughts. You've got to grab a hold of it and, and imprison those, those thoughts. You got what I'm saying? You hear what I'm saying? You've got to get rid of them. How many people have ever been laying in bed at night and the same thought haunts you over and over and over and over and over again? The next night, over again. During the day, over again. It makes you sick to your stomach. It's always grinding on your mind. And it's emotionally impacting you. It's physically impacting you. Can I tell you something? You've given that way too much power in your life. You need to grab it by the neck and throw it in prison. Someone walks into your house and starts taking your stuff. Are you going to sit there and go, have at it? Or are you going to break out your 47 and a half guns that you have and start blasting? Somebody starts taking your stuff, you're going to stop them. I'm not even going to have to, you know, Nick, do you think you should stop them? Maybe they're taking your stuff. No, you're not going to. I don't have to tell you that. I don't have to say anything to you. You're going to get out your stuff and you're going to defend what you have. That's the type of scripture this is. I am not going to let you, devil, take my stuff and make me try to believe something that is not true. Matter of fact, I'm imprisoning you. Some of you need to look right at the devil and say, you got out of your cage? Get back in your cage. Philippians 4, do not, oh, oh, this is one of the scriptures that grates me. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. (laughs) Oh, God help us. Us Americans. Can you imagine if you could live a life without being anxious about anything, you actually might find happiness. Get out. God loves us so much that he makes a statement like this, but then listen, he gives you how. Don't be anxious, but by prayer and supplication with what? If you don't have thanksgiving in your life, you're going to struggle to find joy. Thanksgiving is the womb that births joy. Colossians 3, if you've been raised with Christ, if you've been saved, that's all that means, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, you're supposed to be seeking things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Here it is. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are earth. We do this so much. We set our things, especially all those that are control freaks, I found out recently, this is something I did not know, women have a bunch of, of, of uh, what do I call them, filing compartments where they file everything. I didn't know that. Men's is just a mess, you know? My, if you see my office, they walk in, where's this paper? What's in this stack somewhere? But women have everything filed, and they have time to file it, right? Well, the problem is with that, sometimes you can get, set yourself so much and set your mind on things below that you can get overwhelmed with your situation and you're forgetting that all your ingenuity and all your, your good looks and your ability will not get it done. You need God. I'm speaking to someone this morning. You're not that good. You're not that good looking. You're not that talented. You need God to step in. Set your mind, your thoughts, your thinking on things above. Allow him into your situations. One of my favorite scriptures. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Very simply, what does it say? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean 
on your own ability to understand. There are times when things happen in your life that you got to go like this. I don't understand. Some of you are going to struggle with that, that like to know everything that's going on. Some of you are quite frankly haunted, hear me? Haunted when there's this thing over here that's not taken care of. I know in my house, this is a funny thing, but my wife can't go to bed with dishes in the sink. Got to be cleaned. They got to be cleaned. It's like she can't sleep if there's dishes in the sink. Any women like that? Anyone know what I'm talking about? You got to clean. Don't even think about that, right? That's kind of how you are in your life. If the, the dishes are in the sink and they're not clean, you can't sleep. And I'm talking those dishes can be anything. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your ability to solve your problems. But in, come on, seek him first. All your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your steps. First Peter, did you ever know there were so many th- scriptures on the mind? First Peter 1.13, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know what I'm saying? You know what I believe this is saying? Lisa spoke to me this way. You should be prepared that there's going to be times when bad things happen. You're not expecting bad things to happen. That's a different mindset. I'm saying your mind should be prepared, sober-minded, understanding the days you're living in, understanding there's times that people aren't going to like you, understanding there's times where they're going to throw accusations at you, understand there's times when unfair things are going to happen, unimaginable things could happen, and it doesn't throw you all the way out to left field where we never see you for four months. A couple disciples were thrown in prison for preaching the gospel, and they were thrown in the inner prison, it says. And if you know anything about history of the inner prisons, that was the place where all the feces would drain to. There was no light. It smelled like a sewer. It was nasty, literally nasty, nasty, nasty place. And that's where they were put in the inner prison, in prison, in chains and handcuffs. And when they were there, you know what they did? They began to complain. No, they didn't. The Bible says they began to sing. They began to sing. Can I say something to you? Listen, somehow they had set their mind to the point where they realized no matter how high or how low they went, they were always going to be prepared to sing and praise God. In the Old Testament, there was these three guys, and they were serving God. They were serving the Lord. Catch this. And they would not submit themselves to the God that was not God in that time during Daniel's day. And the king said, if you do not bow, I'm going to throw you in a fiery furnace. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? What did they say? Catch this. My God is able to take me out of that fiery furnace. But then they said this. This is called being sober-minded. Even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. That's powerful. That's like whatever happens don't matter. I'm set. I'm stuck right here. You ain't moving me. Life, you ain't moving me. Anxiety, you ain't moving me. Those crazy thoughts that come in and tell you you ain't worth it, you ain't moving me. I know what my God says about me, and that's what I'm standing on. I know what the Word of God says, and you're a liar. Was it Job that said, though he slay me, yet I will still follow? Can I tell you the revised version for Americans today? 
If I have a million dollars, no anxiety, beautiful wife, beautiful spouse, beautiful kids, everything's perfect, nice house, white picket fence, then maybe I'll praise you. Set our minds firmly rooted in our faith. And the last one, which is this scripture was probably the most eye-opening scripture to me when I was going through my years, a couple years of anxiety and even dealing with a slight bit of depression, when I realized there's a lot of scriptures in the Bible that God knew that people were going to deal with this. Because I think, why else would he say this? This doesn't make sense unless he knew that our brains were going to go places that we didn't need to go. He goes like this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, do yourself a favor. Think about these things. Somehow God knew the deep places our minds would go. And so he gave us ammunition to combat it by saying, hey, when you're fighting those thoughts, go to these. What do you do? On your refrigerator every morning, write down a list of things that you can be thankful for. Do something. Put something in front of your face. Something in front of your face. Something that reminds you that will determine your destiny. All of that is ours because of this. If your thoughts create your future, which it does, if your thoughts produce your action, which creates your future, if that's the truth, And Jesus gave us the ability to overcome and renew our minds, even if we have to do it hour by hour, somebody. If we have that ability, then why aren't we embracing that and running with it? It would transform how we live our lives. I've met people, probably I probably was one at one time. When I met somebody or got to know somebody, I had a struggle with always looking at their faults. You know what you call those people? Because I was, I could tell you, fault finders. Man, they could just find vaults. And then God began to transform me, and I told you the story. One time I was sitting there, and God was, like, speaking to me. When I say he was speaking to me, it wasn't like an audible voice. Man, I wish it worked like that. How many people say amen? But I had a sense of my spirit, what he was saying, and he said, Sean, I want to do this, this, and this in your life. And I'm like, at that time, I was pretty messed up and dealt with some, you know, some bondage stuff. And God says, I want to do this in your life. And I'm like, God, you can't do that. I'm a mess. I mean, look, this is Sean. Sean the mess. You can't do this, God. It's impossible. And God kept saying it and saying it and saying it. I finally got angry, and I said, God, you need to stop because you don't know who you're talking to. You're talking to a mess. I'm a mess. And I'll never forget when he said this to me. He goes, Sean, you don't understand. I don't even know what you're talking about because you ask forgiveness, and when you ask forgiveness, it's no longer in front of me. What I see is your finished work through the blood of Jesus Christ. I, I see you through a veil called the blood of Jesus, and I see all your potential. Come on, somebody. I see what God wants to do through you, not where you are right now. I see where God wants to take you, not where you're standing right now. I don't see your limitations. I don't see your sin. I see Jesus in you. Guess what began to happen to me? I quit becoming a fault finder. I began to see people with different eyes. And I think it's a strength that God has given me now that I can look at any single person and I can see the strength in them. And see what happens is I'll have people, well, you don't understand. This person's dealing with this, and this person's dealing with this. And you know what I do? It's so easy for me to overlook because I'm like, you don't understand the obstacles I had to get over just to become normal, just to become, you know, useful in the kingdom. And so I go and say, God can transform me and change this mess. He can transform anybody and use anybody. 
So a lot of times, right away, people say, well, Sean, I just don't understand. How can God use, and I'm like, are you serious? He used a man that was killing Christians, that was destroying the church, and he used him to be the one that reached the, reached the Gentiles, reached the world. God can use anybody. Listen, your junk isn't any worse than anybody else's junk. Come on, somebody. Look at your neighbor and say, your junk's bad, but it ain't as bad as mine. We'll close with this thought. You need to catch this. This is important. Every time you elevate your junk above the, pro- the, the sacrifice and the promise of God through Jesus Christ and the cross and the resurrection, you're basically saying sin has power over me again. You're basically saying the value and the power of the cross is no longer able to reach me. I'm now under sin one more time. I'm bound by sin. And the Bible's very clear. He says, Jesus ain't going to be crucified again. When he said it was finished, it was enough. And it was finished. Once and for all, get rid of it. Quit stumbling over it. Quit putting it in front of you. Quit dragging it from behind. Quit letting it dictate your thoughts and your minds because then it dictates your actions. Dictate your words. I dare you, some of you husbands, to wake up on a Monday morning and go, Honey, what does this week have? Let's take this on. Your wife will be like, Who are you? I dare you to get rid of that junk and start thinking with a renewed mind, and you'll be amazed how quickly your life begins to change. Quit waiting for your spouse to change. You change. You embrace it. Let's pray. Father, only you can do it through your Holy Spirit, but I pray that you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that the eyes of our hearts, the eyes of our understanding would recognize what your death on the cross has brought us, the freedom that is right before us, if we embrace it. So God, all of us, because all of us needs to do it from time to time, all of us takes all the junk that's been accumulating, we pick it up, and we take it to the cross, we place it at the foot of the cross, and Father, what we do is we get the great exchange, which is our burdens for your peace, our sorrow for your joy, our ashes for your beauty. God, I I know this is not an easy message. I know this is a hard message even to embrace, and it's hard even more to put into practice. But, God, this church, this people, these people, Father, will not see victory, will not see their lives transformed and changed until they understand the power of what you came to give them, the power of salvation, and then from the power from that moment to begin to think and talk differently, to speak out of fullness, to speak out of joy, to to live out of a place of authority and power, to see things the way you see them, not the way that, uh, that, Father, many times we look at them, which is so negative and so despairing and so discouraging. I pray for every person in this place that deals with uh, rejection and depression and discouragement, every person in this place that deals with uh, anxiety, sleepless nights, Father, all those things that, Father, you never, you did not give us a spirit of fear. That's of the devil. It's of the devil. We reject those things. You've given us the ability to have a sound mind, peace, and joy. So, God, we, we personally, this is between us and you. No one else needs to know. This is between us and you, Father. We personally just reach out to you and say, God, I'm struggling. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. God, I say it again. I'm tired of trying to carry this on my own. I can't do it anymore. It's breaking me. I'm breaking down. I'm physically breaking down. And, God, I make the decision this morning to give it all to you. Give it. Here it is. Take it. Take it. I can't do it anymore. Yours. And I want to tell you as we keep continue just to, with our eyes closed, heads bowed, I want to tell you, 
that the man or woman that you think you are will be radically transformed under the power of the Holy Spirit. Literally, the scales will fall off from your eyes, and you'll begin to see in a way that you never thought was possible. God right now is doing lens changes right now in this house. He's changing lenses. He's changing lenses. He's changing prescriptions. He's getting rid of glaucoma. He's getting rid of spiritual glaucoma, getting rid of those things so we can start seeing the way he wants us to see, start talking the way he wants us to talk. God, it only can come through your Holy Spirit. It only can come through your Holy Spirit. So we're asking your Holy Spirit to come down and fill us once more to enable us to get out of all the stinking thinking that has gone on and to start living life in its full. Come to give us life, abundant life. Pray a blessing over this church. I pray, Father, I have it in my spirit. I believe you're speaking it, that we are supposed to have the best year we've ever had as a church. And that means individuals are supposed to have incredible years. I pray for restorations in marriages. I pray for restorations in families. I pray for restorations in finances. I pray for restoration. Restoration would be upon this house. And God, when you restore, you're the type of God that doesn't just restore to its previous state. You always make it better. Let 2021 be marked as the year that our lives dramatically changed for good. We speak blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. For more information on our church, check out our Facebook page or our website, www.lighthousecanton.com. Have a great week.